1: I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it's my pleasure to welcome Kalen May Tobin. He is the lead analyst for the Union of Concerned Scientists' palm oil work. Kalen conducts research on palm-related deforestation, And how to reduce the land use carbon footprint of the palm oil industry. He also conducts analyses for the Union of Concerned Scientists Tropical Forest and Climate Initiative, including work on legislative issues relating to illegal logging and research on reducing emissions from tropical deforestation, degradation, and land use change. Prior to joining the Union of Concerned Scientists, Kalin worked for the Society for Conservation Biology. He holds a Master's in Ecology from the University of California, Irvine, and he's also the lead author on a report called Donuts Deodorant Deforestation, the Scoring of America's Top Brands on Their Palm Oil Commitments. Welcome, Kalen.
0: Thanks for having me, Melinda.
1: Well, you know, as a dietitian, I study the kinds of fats that are in our diet and in our food system and the kind of implications they have, not only on our own personal health, but that of the planet. And in going through some of your blog posts and certainly this report, I was absolutely amazed to learn just how much palm oil is in our diet and the destruction of our rainforests from planting all of these palm trees. So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit first. We'll delve into that. But first, we should probably back up and just say, you've got a degree in ecology. What does that mean exactly?
0: Ecology the way that I like to describe it, it's the, the study of biological systems. Basically, I got a degree in tree hugging and playing in the dirt, but that counts as science. So my specific research that I got my degrees in was reforestation ecology in the tropics. So basically, I worked in farms that once upon a time were forests, had then been cleared and used for coffee plantations and cattle production and then abandoned because the the land just gave out. And so I tried to essentially regrow a forest there and use natural processes to speed up that process.
1: Well, I just figured out what I want to get my PhD in then. I think it's going to be ecology based on your description. No, I, I've often thought that I wish seriously that every policymaker had a degree in ecology. I think because I love the way... It does delve into biological systems and this emphasis on how everything is connected. And I think nothing really describes that better than how our food choices affect our global climate and all of our biodiversity and things that we want to protect. So how did you start investigating specifically in palm oil with regard to climate change, deforestation, and food
0: Um, Sure, that's that's a great question. So palm oil has actually essentially been a part of my life ever since I got started in tropical ecology, although I wasn't working directly on it until a couple years ago. I did my graduate work and did some study abroad in Costa Rica, and on my first trip down there, I spent about a week in a national park surrounded by all this beautiful biodiversity, these birds, these insects, beautiful flowers, and then After we left that national park, we were driving to where we would eventually be doing study abroad, and we drove for what seemed like hours through a palm oil plantation, and the contrast was just 180 degrees. I mean, it was one species of plant as far as the eye could see, basically no animal life or flowers anywhere. And sort of from there, as I said, I I worked on restoration Issues trying to sort of regrow a forest on land that had been cleared for essentially food products. So it had been coffee and cattle production. And there I was still very focused on the restoration aspect. Then once I finished school, I came here to Union of Concerned Scientists and got involved with the Tropical Forest and Climate Initiative, where our our goal is to reduce the emissions that come when people cut down the rainforest, the tropical forests across the globe. And one of the first projects that I worked on here was an analysis of what's driving tropical deforestation. And I think when people think about it, I think they still sort of have the old-fashioned notion that it's indigenous communities and small-scale farmers who are going down and and chopping down the trees for firewood or or to grow their own food. But if you look at the data, most of the deforestation that's happening throughout the tropics is driven by major global agricultural commodities. So it's soybean production and cattle production in Brazil and, and Latin America. And in Southeast Asia, increasingly over the last decade, it's been... The large-scale expansion of palm oil plantations. So once we sort of identified and and spent some time looking at those drivers, we recognized that palm oil was was a major threat to not only biodiversity, but our climate, from the the clearing of the forests and then clearing of these carbon-rich peatlands, which are essentially swamps where the soils store carbon for tens of thousands of years. And when those are are drained and cleared for palm oil plantation, they just continue to emit carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So that's how I got into palm oil. And I think similarly to you, I was so surprised once I started investigating this topic, how ubiquitous it is in our, our everyday lives. Um, I mean, I, I've never gone to the supermarket and purchased a bottle of palm oil like I would olive oil or soybean or canola oil, but they're, Hundreds of products that I use, that everyone uses, thousands of products, even that contain it. Whether it's packaged food, whether it's the donuts or fries we eat uh, when we're on the road and go to a, a fast food joint, but even our, as the report says, our deodorants, our soaps, our shampoos, um, it's it's kind of everywhere, and it's really surprising.
1: It is, and I, I should probably step back and just let our listeners know that from a dietetics perspective or the food industry perspective. Palm oil became of interest, and it is increasingly of interest, in part because of our ban on trans fat. So without a doubt, we learned that trans fat increases our risk for heart disease. And so the food industry, in order to have processed food products that have a shelf life beyond a couple of weeks, They needed a kind of fat that wasn't susceptible to rancidity or oxidation. And so these saturated fats are the ones that are the most appealing to the food industry. We can't have partially hydrogenated vegetable oils anymore because that's how we create trans fats. So the industry started looking at palm oil because it did have such a high level of saturation, and then it allows products to be on the shelf for longer, and then it also imparts different mouthfeel qualities, uh, you know, a crispier, perhaps better performance in a fryer. And so when I looked through this report, Donuts Deodorant Deforestation, and I saw the incredible list of food products, especially the fast food industry, wow, that they are heavy users, as well as, as you say, you know, we're not going out and buying a bottle of it, but it's in just about everything. And then you've got some different you know, from L'Oreal Cosmetics to Kraft Foods, Yum! Brands, it's pretty much in everything. So you have looked at this, I guess you could say it's a commitment that some corporations have made to have a more friendly policy with regard to palm oil planting and harvesting, but not everybody has signed on to that, and I don't know how the consumer can tell which brands or products are safe to buy and which ones aren't. Sure,
0: and it it is a difficult choice sometimes, and I guess I I do want to step back a second and say that from an environmental standpoint, there's not necessarily anything sort of fundamentally wrong with palm oil. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of the other reasons why it's grown so rapidly over the last few years is it's a very cheap vegetable oil. It has really high productivity, so you can get a lot more per area of land than you can any other vegetable oil. Where you really run into the problem is where the production expands onto forests mm-hmm. um, and so sort of as you said we we recognize that this is an ingredient in in thousands of products, and the consumers might not know which products it's in, and even if they can identify they don't necessarily know where that company purchased that palm oil from. So really, we felt that it falls on the companies to take the responsibility to ensure that deforestation isn't an ingredient in their products. And so we looked at about 30 companies across three sectors. So as you said, the, the packaged food sector, and that's companies like Nestle, like Kellogg's, Kraft the fast food sector, Burger King, McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, and and the personal care sector, places like L'Oreal, Colgate, Procter & Gamble. And what we found was there was a huge variety in the level of commitments that these companies had made. Some companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, Nestle have really stepped up to fully address deforestation in their supply chain, in their palm oil purchasing. But as a whole the fast food sector was just abysmal. So we scored 10 companies in, in that sector, and only four of them had commitments. And based on our scoring system, only two of those had strong enough commitments to even receive points. And I think that the highest was about somewhere in the 30s, around 38 points. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that was out of a, a scale of 100. So these companies just really haven't taken this issue seriously.
1: Yeah, and I think it's our responsibility. I think the beauty of your report is that you do give credence to companies who have stepped up to the plate to do something nice for the planet, and then you've also identified companies that aren't doing enough. And I think that these kinds of reports that come out of the Union of Concerned Scientists, combined with media exposure, can help consumers make better choices in the marketplace. And I can tell you on the fast food company list, Those companies that got a score of zero include Burger King, Hardee's, Dairy Queen, Domino's, Dunkin' Donuts, Baskin-Robbins, Starbucks, Wendy's, Yum! Brands, which includes KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. I mean, shame on these companies for not realizing that they have a responsibility for future generations. On the plus side, I think that a report like this can and should help drive not only consumer choice but consumer action. And I like that you have a site on your website about, hey, we, listen, this is bad news, but we can fix it. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how we might proceed in fixing the problem.
0: Sure, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head with consumer action. I think what we have seen in the past is when consumers speak companies listen. So the companies that do have um, really strong policies, L'Oreal, Unilever, particularly Nestle, and now Kellogg's, which came out with a a really strong policy after we finished the scorecard, these all happened in response to consumer pressure, consumer campaigns. So actually... Back in, in 2010, 2009, Nestle was the focus of a major campaign by Greenpeace and because they had really bad commitments and policies around palm oil and because of that consumer pressure, they're now one of the leaders and have been for quite some time. So what we're really advocating for consumers, for individuals to do is, is to tell these companies that that they love. I mean, these are the brands that we use every day. We have strong emotional connections to them in a lot of cases. So what we're asking is is for consumers to to leverage that and talk to these, these companies, send them emails, maybe even sort of stop into your local Dunkin' Donuts and let them know that you want them to have stronger policies, that you care about the products that you buy and you care about the planet that you live on.
1: Mm -hmm. I just want to take one break and remind our listeners that we are listening to Food Sleuth Radio, and my guest is Kaylin May Tobin. He is the lead analyst and policy advocate for the Tropical Forest and Climate Initiative at the Union of Concerned Scientists based in Washington, D.C. Well, Kaylin, I want to just commend you on this incredible report that goes through which products and which companies are doing their part and which ones are falling short. And you also have a terrific blog and there are several pieces that you've written on this. And the one that really struck me, I think, was my initial reaction was, okay, you know, the consumer is weary, tired, and they want to get into the grocery store and out as quickly as possible. And now we're going to give them another thing to do, right? They, they need to read ingredient labels. They need to understand what's in them. And then they should go back and cross-reference with your report to see how those brands do. You make it easy for us in that you've got All of the packaged food companies that have done really well with regard to making a commitment, and this is a commitment to the new standard, which is a deforestation-free palm oil. So you can go down and you can see, oh, look, these brands and these products are good. They're just, I hate to say this, there's really just a a few of them. Uh, The others are quite plentiful, you know, who's not stepping up to the plate. But then we can send emails. We've got social media on our side. We can tweet. We can use Facebook. What else do you recommend?
0: I think that that's a very good question, and I, I certainly experience the same feeling that I assume a lot of your listeners do when I go in the supermarket. It, it can be stressful sometimes. So I really do think that for the palm oil issue, the best course of action for consumers is to reach out to the companies. I think as we acknowledged earlier, it's not always easy to tell if these products have palm oil, particularly in the personal care sector, but sometimes in in the, the food sector. So there's no guarantee that if you are switching away from one product, you're not switching away to another product that contains palm oil. And while we did list some of the example brands for these companies they own, many more brands. That was one of the other things that sort of surprised me as I was doing this research is just to see how many of the brands that I know are owned by a handful of companies. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, it's a little difficult for the individual consumer to change their purchasing habits and necessarily have that make a huge difference. I think really what we've seen is... Being vocal, posting comments on the Twitter feeds and the Facebook pages of these companies, I think we've seen for a variety of issues, not just the environment, social, human rights issues. These are uh, social media is opening amazing venues of communication between the individual consumer and the companies. So I think really just speaking out about this issue, I think, is is really the best course of action.
1: Well, you raise a really good point about how surprised you were to see how many different brands that we know and often love are connected to, say, one corporate giant. So, for example, I'll just throw this one out. Kraft, which rates at the bottom of the heap for the the under-the-packaged food companies, they have an X, which means no commitment to deforestation-free palm oil. And so you think, okay, Kraft, well, what brands does that include? And you think, oh, Cool Whip. Jello, these are brands that we see on the shelf and we see in people's grocery carts all the time. PepsiCo, also connected with Quaker products, and they rate with a negative sign, which means little commitment. So the consumer gets a double piece of education here with your report. They can not only go through and see, well, who's doing it right, and I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, Nestle is doing this right. That's good. Unilever, okay, what does Unilever own? Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream, Popsicle, Slim Fast, and Mondelez, Oreo, Ritz Crackers, Nutter Butter. you know These are the products that that ring home, right? We know those brands so well. And so I think that your chart does two things. It helps us know which brands to address if we feel so motivated to write letters and get on our, our social media platforms. But it also shows us just how ubiquitous this is in our whole food and non-food product display that's out in the supermarket. It's everywhere. And you think, okay, well, what are my alternatives? I can look at the label. My first thought was, okay, I'm just going to recommend that we boycott all the palm oil. But the other oils may not be all that advantageous either, right? So you even mentioned that with palm oil, it's its a very shelf-stable oil. It's cheap. It's got high productivity. Maybe it's better in some cases than using something like a GMO canola oil, for example, or GMO soy. So I think the chart then gives us some ability to say, okay, this product has palm oil. Don't have to necessarily boycott all palm oil, but let's for sure go with companies that are harvesting the right way. And then overall make some other choices with regard to getting a little bit of a different mix of fat in our diet.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, another thing that I would add on the sort of not boycotting palm oil in general front is the way that vegetable oils function on the global market is they're, they're fairly interchangeable. And I guess we can think of this in sort of a smaller scale. And if, if you're cooking something on your stove at home and you reach for your olive oil and you realize that you're out of it, you can cook in soybean oil or canola oil and essentially have a functional similarity. So if you were to pressure a specific company, say Unilever or Nestle, to move towards soybean oil or canola oil, that just means that someone else will be purchasing the palm oil that they aren't purchasing. So it doesn't decrease overall demand for the vegetable oil and therefore really won't have an overall effect on deforestation driven by palm oil.
1: Hmm. That was really interesting. It was something that I learned from your blog post that I thought, oh, I should. That's why I wanted to have you on because you can give a, a more broad global ecological perspective on the topic. All right, so let's talk a little bit about global warming in particular. I've heard that our planet's rainforests have been described as our planet's lungs. How exactly does destroying the rainforest. We're, we're still planting trees. We're planting the palm trees. How exactly are we harming or contributing to global warming through this palm deforestation?
0: Sure, that's that's actually a great question, and that's that's um, something that comes up a lot. Is, is You think you're cutting down trees, but you're planting trees, so it should be a wash. But if you actually, if you look at a healthy tropical forest, it's First of all, a lot more than just the trees. There are understory shrubs, there are vines, there are all this other vegetation, and the trees are larger and grow longer than palm oil trees. So you have a significant amount more carbon in a standing tropical forest than you do in a palm oil plantation. So cutting down a forest, all of that vegetation that's standing gets decomposed or burned or somehow released into the atmosphere, Um, when you plant the palm trees, you'll take some of that back, but you've still sort of on the whole released a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. So that's one of the major components of climate change as it's driven by palm oil conversion. The other is these peatlands that I referred to earlier. So these are these really carbon rich soils, swampy areas in, mostly in Indonesia and Malaysia. And what happens is similar, so they have forest on top of them. That forest is cut down and burned and you get the same emissions that you would for many other forests. But then in order to plant palm oil, they don't like wet soils. So you have to you have to drain the water out of these peat soils. And when you do that, you have all of this carbon-rich soil that starts to emit CO2. So you what you get is a a one-two punch for the atmosphere. You get this initial burst of emissions when you clear the forest, but then you get a slow and steady constant stream of emissions as the peat soil decomposes releases carbon into the air. And these peat soils can be anywhere from a few centimeters, a few inches deep, to around 30 meters deep. So that's about 60 feet. So there's a lot of carbon in those soils. So those are the two sort of major areas where cutting down forests for palm oil contributes to climate change. And I guess the converse of that and why palm oil can potentially be a good crop, is if you have land where there isn't forest. So maybe it was cleared ages ago, maybe it's sort of existing agricultural land for other crops, grasslands, those don't contain a lot of carbon. So if you replace those lands with palm oil plantations, you actually then do sequester carbon from the atmosphere. So those can be a net benefit to the atmosphere versus clearing forests, which harm the atmosphere.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I have to recommend this report to just get a much broader understanding of the complexity of this issue and how it's affecting future generations and life on this planet. I've asked you several questions that were high on my list, but is there anything that you want to pull out from this report or any of the research that you've done in the area before we have to close?
0: I think we covered most of it. I I guess I would just reiterate that I think these are products that we are exposed to every single day and that, as we said, you could feel overwhelmed. You could go into the grocery store and, and feel sort of overwhelmed with guilt about your, your purchasing decisions, but I think your listeners and, and consumers need to recognize that they have a voice and that the uh, companies do listen to them. And so I think it's really important that they take the power in their hands and let the companies know that, that deforestation is just unacceptable. It's not something we want in our products. It's not something that we can sustain for our planet. So as you alluded to, our, our website – if you go to www.ucsusa.org backslash palm oil, you can find this report. You can find opportunities to take action. You can find a, a few other reports we've written on palm oil and vegetable oil and the drivers of deforestation in general. mm mm-hmm.
1: I want to make sure that our listeners know that we'll have those websites available on our KOPN website as well as public radio exchange so that they can access those and take action. I have one quick question for you, and that is that one of the statistics that you have says that between 1990 and 2010, global production of palm oil nearly quadrupled and production is projected to pass 75 million tons by 2020. My last question to you is, if we embrace a more rational approach to this deforestation method of producing palm oil, can we still produce as much as we need?
0: I think there, there are definitely opportunities to meet that demand without clearing more forest. Huge strides can be made in increasing productivity, about 50% of palm oil is produced by smallholders, and if you look at the, the yield gaps between palm oil from smallholders and large plantations is, is huge. There's also a huge opportunity to expand into non-forest degraded land. So I think there is still a lot of opportunity to meet the growing demand. Um, without sacrificing our forests or our atmosphere.
1: Well, I want to thank you so much, Kalyn, for being my guest. We've been speaking with Kalyn May Tobin. He is the lead analyst and policy advocate for the Tropical Forest and Climate Initiative at the Union of Concerned Scientists. And I want to close by thanking Kalen for being my guest and thanking our listeners for tuning in and to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Kaylin, thank you so much for making this complicated topic a bit more understandable.
0: Uh, Thank you, Melinda.